Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Testing your soil is the best way to find out what is lacking in your garden as far as nutrients are concerned, and the earlier you test it, the better. Testing your soil in the off-season before spring rolls around gives you an earlier start toward correcting any deficiencies. Fall and winter are the best times to amend your soil with organic components because they'll have a chance to break down into the soil and incorporate themselves so they're ready to be absorbed by your plants come spring. But the plethora of amendments available to the home gardener these days can be overwhelming. How do you know what to add, when to add it, and how much? I'm going to spend this episode talking about some of the most popular and easily accessible amendments you can use on your soil right now to give you a better harvest next season and talk about how to determine how much of it to use based on your own garden circumstances. Ready? Let's dig in. Hey, I'm Karen, and together with my husband, I spent over a decade researching and learning and building our small farm through lots of trial and error, successes and failures. I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture to help our farm business, and now I want to pass all that knowledge on to you. Because I firmly believe that self-reliance is empowering, and that everyone, whether you've got a five-acre plot in the country, a half-acre lot in suburbia, or a windowless room in a downtown apartment, should just grow something. I'm going to assume at this point that you've done a soil test and you've at least gotten back the basic results, soil pH and the levels of the big three, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Now, if you did a university test or one that you send off to a private company, they may not have sent you back a nitrogen level because the available level of nitrogen can vary widely based on temperatures, soil composition, the types of the plants being grown, moisture levels, and a lot of other circumstances. In most instances, if you've not amended with anything, not done any cover crops, and have grown anything in that spot, you're likely low on nitrogen. But if there's any doubt, though, use an off-the-shelf kit to determine where your levels are at this particular moment. If it shows even remotely high, then certainly don't add any more. This is almost as bad as having too little nitrogen. You'll get big leaves and no fruits, or your greens will be super bitter even before the heat gets to them. This is likely a rare instance in all but the most fertile of gardens, but just be aware of that. So... Let's assume that your test has shown your soil is deficient in one or more of those big three macronutrients. And if you sprang the extra bucks for the more in-depth test that also examined micronutrient levels, that's even better. The supporting players can often be almost as limiting to plant growth and fruit production as the big three. So now what do you do? What do you add to the soil other than straight fertilizers to not only increase the nutrient level, but also support the microbiome of the soil that makes it so healthy? Because that's the key, right? The healthier the soil, the healthier the plant. The healthier the plant, the better able it is to fight off bugs and diseases, and the more nutritious the resulting fruit or vegetable from that plant will be to us. I look at it from an athlete's perspective. As far as our body is concerned, sugar is sugar is sugar. It all breaks down into glucose, and that's mainly what our body uses for fuel. But the quality of the sugar matters. 
You're not going to see an elite athlete chugging down soda and slamming a candy bar as their fuel source on a daily basis. No, they're going to opt for lots of water paired with fruits and complex carbohydrates. They're going to fuel their body properly while providing those essential sugars. Why? Because they know that even though the body breaks down those junk foods into glucose the same way as the whole foods, the other characteristics of the whole foods are the supporting players that boost their overall health. The fiber, the vitamins, the minerals that all help keep the rest of the body's systems working at their peak level while it breaks down those sugars. Soil is the same way. Yes, you can feed it a diet of chemical fertilizers that simply provide the nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. But what about the supporting players? The soil microbes need more to feed on than just the big three, and so do the plants, in order to perform at their optimum level. In addition, our bodies need those macronutrients as well to function, and the more that's in the soil, the more the plant can take up, at least to its upper limit, and the more will be available to our systems when we eat the plant. So, let's skip the soil junk food and feed the soil properly, shall we? And let's be clear here, when I'm talking about organic amendments, I'm not necessarily talking about USDA certified organic with a capital O. I'm talking about organic as in derived from living matter. So let's start with nitrogen. It's the first fuel that plants need for their growth. It's used in all kinds of ways in the plant, from chlorophyll production to synthesizing amino acids, and it helps the plant grow big, strong, and lush. The stronger this growth is, the better able the plant will be to take the next step in producing fruits, roots, and shoots for our consumption. Even if you've not had a soil test done, or yours didn't include the nitrogen levels, it's pretty easy to tell when your soil is depleted. Your plants will show signs of chlorosis, the yellowing of the leaves, and oftentimes growth will just be plain stunted. The easiest way to amend for nitrogen, and pretty much all the micronutrients too, and give the soil a big boost to its level of organic matter is to pile on the compost. The off-season is the absolute best time to do this. There are a lot of reasons for this, but the one that pertains specifically to nitrogen is that nitrogen tends to get tied up while organic matter is being broken down. Once it hits your soil, the microbes are going to go to work feeding on that organic matter and working it into your existing soil. Nitrogen is needed to break down those components, so it will be unavailable to any plants until that process is complete. This is why you can fill a bed with compost in the spring and plant directly into it and get eh, mediocre results, but late fall plant again and get an explosion of growth. The nitrogen simply wasn't available yet during that first planting. That's why fall and winter are crucial times for adding compost to the garden. It needs that time to break down and be ready to work for you in the spring. This is also the time that you would be adding any manure. It gives time for any hot manure, like horse or chicken manure, to break down further and be less likely to burn the roots of sensitive plants. Bat guano is another one that should be added in the fall. So what are our other organic amendments for nitrogen in the fall and the winter? Number one is alfalfa meal. 
It's a natural source of readily available nitrogen for plants. It can be spread on the soil or it can be made into a tea and watered in. And it can also be used in compost tea to improve the growth of the microbes in your compost tea. Another one is cottonseed meal. It's a good choice for slow-release nitrogen that can be added in the fall. Be aware, though, it can also lower the soil pH. And so um, on an upcoming episode, we'll go in-depth into soil pH and how to make changes to that. But in the meantime, be aware that some of the amendments we use for macro and micronutrients can also result in soil pH changes. Another option is crustacean meal. This can be a blend of crab, shrimp, and or lobster meals, and it can act as a long-term nitrogen source and help with microbial activity in the soil. You can also find just standalone shrimp meal. Another one is feather meal. Feather meal is a byproduct of the poultry industry. It's cooked and sterilized under extreme heat, and it is a solid source of slow-release nitrogen. This is one I do recommend sourcing as certified organic if you can to avoid any additives that may be found in the non-organic poultry feed, which of course is going to end up in the feather meal. Another lesser known source would be neem seed meal. Uh, Neem seed meal is a waste product of the neem oil industry. It's high in nitrogen and it's also known to help battle pest issues in the soil. So you kind of get a two for one effect there. I will be seeking out neem seed oil for our gardens this year. And then there's also soybean meal. Now, soybean meal contains a high amount of slow release nitrogen and a little bit of potassium to boot. Most soybeans grown in the U.S. are GMO crops, so if these are a concern to you, then look for a certified organic or specifically non-GMO product. And then we get to things like grass clippings and leaf mulch. Fresh grass clippings contain copious amounts of nitrogen, but they do take a while to break down, so adding them in the season before is a must. Aged grass clippings, however, are going to contain more carbon than nitrogen and can be added at any time. Same goes with dried leaves. Fresh leaves can be added in the fall to not only help protect the soil over the winter, but to also slowly break down and add all their goodness to the soil before you plant in the spring. Of course, if insect pests that overwinter as adults are a concern for you, this might be the one that you skip. And although it's likely too late in most areas right now to plant a cover crop, things like clover, alfalfa, or bean plants can add nitrogen back into the soil by pulling nitrogen from the air and fixing it into the soil through their roots to be delivered in forms in the soil later that other plants can use. I promise I have a cover crop episode coming up next month, so stay tuned for that. I know I keep saying it, but yes, we will have one soon. So that's nitrogen. Next up is phosphorus. Phosphorus is used in our garden plants to promote root growth and to flower and set seed, all things that are important as a gardener. In addition to just adding organic matter through compost, what organic amendments can be added to the soil to help with phosphorus levels? Bone meal is one. Bone meal is a byproduct of the meat industry. It's a mixture of finely and coarsely ground animal bones that contain high levels of phosphorus and also provides a good amount of calcium, another important micronutrient. It is slow release, and it's good to add in the fall because too much in too close proximity to your plants can actually burn your plants. 
Some formulations may also contain higher levels of nitrogen, so be aware of that. Pay attention to your packaging. Another one is rock phosphate. Phosphorite, phosphate rock, or rock phosphate is a sedimentary rock that contains high amounts of phosphate minerals. For the garden, it's been enriched to increase the concentration of phosphorus to make a more beneficial amendment by volume. There is also a name brand called Calphos that is a colloidal phosphate. It's an untreated soft phosphate combined with colloidal clay. So it also has lots of trace minerals and micronutrients, including calcium in addition to the phosphorus. And then finally, we'll move on to potassium or potash. Potassium in the garden helps plants regulate their metabolism. It's important for good root development, and it affects the regulation of water pressure inside and outside the plant, which helps them effectively use water and be more drought resistant. Plants with potassium deficiencies grow more slowly, and they have poorly developed root systems and are often much more prone to disease and moisture stress. Potassium is highly water-soluble, so deficiency is most common on really light, sandy soils because potassium ions will easily leach from soils that lack the colloids that are typically found in clay. But you can also have a potassium deficiency in clay soils that have really poor soil structure because water is just typically going to run off the solid clay and the potassium goes right with it. That's another reason why soil organic matter is so important. If you find your soil is short on potassium, what organic amendments can we add specifically for potassium deficiency? Number one is wood ash. The term potash is actually derived from the term pot ash, the ashes and burnt pieces of hardwood that came from open fireplaces or fire pits where people did their cooking. Tossing this ash into the garden proved to be a good, quick-acting, but short-lived source of potassium. You can absolutely do this with the ashes from your fireplace or your wood-burning stove if you've been burning non-treated hardwoods or hardwood pellets to add potassium back into your garden soil. Be aware, though, these ashes are going to be very alkaline, so know what your soil pH is before doing this. If you've got pretty acidic soil, then no harm, no foul. But if you're growing plants that really like acidic soil, like blueberries, or your soil is already fairly alkaline to begin with, say, around 6.5 pH or higher, then let's not use the wood ash. Put it in the compost pile so it can mellow and mix in with other things before being used later. Another option for potassium is green sand. Green sand is an iron potassium silicate. It's a marine sediment that contains large quantities of these greenish granules called glauconies and consists of a mixture of layer clay minerals like smectite and mica. Green sand is a long-term, slow-release organic potassium source that will also gradually improve the water-holding capacity in both clay and sandy soils. One application will generally last about three to five years, so it's a good alternative for adding potassium to a depleted soil to keep it in a sufficient status while you work on building good soil health in your garden. Kelp meal um, is another amendment that I've seen recommended for potassium. Now, this one comes with a little bit of caution. It does contain both nitrogen and potassium and also comes with a lovely level of over 60 micronutrients as well. It also helps encourage microbial populations in the soil. All of these are fabulous. But 
because of the source, it also comes with a sufficient amount of plant hormones. Kelp meal is chock full of cytokinins, indoles, auxins, and gibberellins, which are all involved in a variety of processes from vegetative growth and flowering to the responses to transplanting, overwatering, and excessive heat exposure. And while we want our plants to do these things, too much of these plant hormones in combination with the hormones already present in our growing plants can be too much. This is why if you're going to use kelp mel, I recommend doing it in the fall so it gets a chance to mellow out a little bit. Its effects in the garden can last 6 to 12 months, so there'll be plenty of potassium available for the plants, but the plant hormones will have degraded enough to not overwhelm the garden plants and be a benefit rather than a hindrance. Just don't overapply it. Which brings me to the question of how much of each of these amendments should you add? Remember that more is not better in most instances. There is a, this is another reason adding these in the season before you plant is a good idea. It gives the opportunity for these amendments to work into the soil and break down a little bit into their base components. It also gives any overabundance an opportunity to mellow a little bit if you get a little heavy-handed. Once you're ready to start working the soil in the spring, you can take another soil test to see where you stand. If you've applied too much of something and it's just not had a chance to leach all out, then your soil test will show it and you'll know what plants you can and can't put there. This is much better than applying anything while planting or after you've already got plants in the ground and then shocking or killing them because you went a little too far. Ask me how I know this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So how much is too much? Most of these amendments are going to have recommendations on the label for how much you should be applying in a given space. If your soil is showing deficient, then feel free to follow these recommendations. Kelp meal, for example, I wouldn't add more than one pound per hundred square feet. I tend to err on the lower side for just about everything because you have no way to remove those extra nutrients once you've tossed them in. So I start with half the recommended rate unless the soil is showing completely depleted, which I have seen. In that case, it's full steam ahead at the recommended rate. But if the soil test shows deficient, then I'm adding half the recommended rate, then testing again in about six weeks to see where I stand. If I'm still showing deficient or on the low end of sufficient, then I'll adjust my application rate accordingly and do a second treatment. Now, if you got a soil test from a university or a mail-in company, you may have paid to have them send you recommendations for what to do to adjust your deficiencies. In most cases... These recommendations are going to come back in pounds per acre or pounds per square foot. This is not pounds of fertilizer. This is referring to pounds of nutrient. So what do I mean? We've talked before about those numbers on the sides of the fertilizer bags, right? 10-10-10 is a good all-purpose fertilizer, so let's use that for an example. That number is telling you the level of nitrogen, 
phosphorus, and potassium contained in that fertilizer in that order. It's telling you the mix contains 10% of each of those nutrients. So if it's a 10-pound bag, that fertilizer contains one pound of nitrogen, one pound of phosphorus, and one pound of potassium, right? 10% of 10 pounds is one pound. So if your test results come back moderately low in phosphorus and the recommendation for vegetable gardening given to you was to add two pounds of phosphorus per thousand square feet of garden and you're using bone meal as your phosphorus amendment, you'll need to do some math or maths, depending on where you live. Most bone meal you get in the garden center has an NPK of 3150. So 3% nitrogen, 15% phosphorus, and no potassium. So to get to a rate of two pounds of phosphorus per thousand square feet of garden using this particular amendment, you need to divide two by 0.15. That's the decimal equivalent of the percentage of phosphorus in the fertilizer, right? So two divided by 0.15 equals 13.33. So you'll need to apply 13 and a third pounds of this bone meal to the thousand square feet of your garden to get two pounds of phosphorus for that thousand square feet. Okay, now obviously, if your garden's only 100 square feet, you'll only need 1.33 pounds, 13.33 divided by 10. Keep in mind, though, that since this bone meal also contains 3% nitrogen, you'll be applying just shy of half a pound of nitrogen to that same 1,000 square feet. 13.33 pounds times 0.03, the decimal equivalent of 3%, is rounded up to 0.4. So if your test results showed no nitrogen deficiency, you'll need to decide whether that four-tenths of a pound of nitrogen is acceptable to add or if you'll try to find something that contains only phosphorus and no other macronutrients. This is also different than how you would add the amendment if you weren't given recommendations from the soil test results. If you just know that you've got a deficiency and you want to use this bone meal to amend the soil, then you'll be following the recommendations on the bag. The bag may say something like use three to six pounds per hundred square feet of garden. Okay, so let's say we decide to use five pounds. It's within that three to six pound range. If you do the math on that, five pounds times 0.15, that's three quarters of a pound of phosphorus per hundred square feet. Well, if we go back to the original recommendation from the first example, two pounds per thousand feet, and divide that by 10 to 100 square feet, that's only 0.2 pounds per hundred square feet. So if we arbitrarily choose five pounds, we're actually adding a half a pound more phosphorus than necessary to our 100 square foot garden, which if we extrapolate that back out to our 1,000 square foot recommendation equals seven and a half pounds of phosphorus per 1,000 square feet rather than the two pounds. That's a big difference. And this, I think, is where most people get tripped up. The amount of fertilizer or amendment that should be added. Most soil tests, even the cheapest off-the-shelf versions, are going to give you some semblance of just how deficient your soil is. So if the results say mildly deficient, 
Use the lower recommendation on the bag instructions. If the results say depleted, use the higher end of the recommendations. And if the results say moderately deficient, then use a midway point. And always be cognizant of the other ingredients in that amendment or fertilizer. If your soil is not deficient of potassium, don't use something that has 3% potash just because it has the 15% phosphorus that you want. There are products on the shelf that have only the macronutrient that you need and sometimes include some of those micronutrients. And speaking of micronutrients, that's the other concern here. If you use an organic amendment, there will likely be some micronutrients involved, and usually it's the micronutrients that are complementary to the amendment you've chosen. For example, a phosphorus amendment will likely also contain some level of calcium, which can help stabilize soil structure, unless your soil is too alkaline, and then it can actually prevent the plants from taking up the phosphorus. Everything needs to be balanced. The good news on that front, though, is that micronutrients are so named because they are needed in much lesser amounts by the plants than the macronutrients. So it's much easier to provide them to the plant and much less likely that you'll be deficient if you're using organic amendments for the big three. Compost is also a player here. Compost isn't just providing nutrients. It's amending the soil structure and it's feeding the microbes in the soil that break down the nutrients in order to make them available to our plants. Nutrients need to be water-soluble in order for plants to take them up in their roots. This is one more reason why amending the soil in the off-season will work in your favor. It allows time for the nutrients to break down in the soil for the plants to take them up later. If you add eggshells for calcium and banana peels for potassium and you put them directly in the hole where you place your plant at the time of planting, those micronutrients aren't going to be available for that plant. But if you throw those in the soil over the winter and they compost down during the season before you plant, by the time you place that plant in the garden bed, those micronutrients will be available for the water to move them into the plant roots and through the plant tissues where they need to be. The same thing goes for all the amendments I talked about today. And there are, of course, other fast-acting, water-soluble amendments that you can use in the garden that are available to the plant immediately, and I didn't talk about those today. I'll revisit this topic again during the spring here in North America so that if you add those amendments now and then take another soil sample in the spring and still see deficiencies, you'll have another available option for amending your garden beds. In the meantime, get your soil tests done on a day when it's nice to be outside, figure out what you need and go out in the garden and amend your soil and get a little of the natural vitamin D that we so desperately need in the wintertime. Next week begins the new year, and I'm so looking forward to bringing you into 2022 with more gardening info so you can be the best and most productive gardener you can possibly be. There are exciting things coming for season two of this podcast, and I just can't wait to share them with you. Have a fantastic New Year's celebration, and I'll talk to you again soon. You've just listened to another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. Don't forget to download the episode after you've listened, rate and review us in your podcast player if that's an option, and follow us on Instagram at Just Grow Something Podcast. All these things help gardeners like you find me and hopefully join the Just Grow Something family. 
Don't forget to send in those gardening questions through a voice message at the link in the show notes or via email to grow at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden and I will talk to you again soon.